thread, a singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Hi, this is Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread. This is Thread 42. Uh, Sorry to be away for a few weeks. We were on an adventure as a family. One of my ambitions as a missionary in Asia, we've been here for over 20 years, is to really know Asia. So as a family, as often as we can, we go into some part of Asia we don't have a background with, and we just spend some time there. So last week or so, we've been on a slow boat going through northern Laos. Uh, sleeping on the deck and enjoying the Laotian people and food and the beauty of that country and getting to know a little bit more about those people to see if there's some way that we can be of help to them. Um, one funny thing that happened while we were there, we had one night that we had to overnight in order to catch the boat the next day. And so uh, we took a walk and went into a temple. And in this Buddhist temple, it had about, I don't know, maybe 30 young monks in training, and it was time time for prayer, and they were in the temple, and they were doing their chanting, and so we walked in, and as we walked in, our daughters came with us, and these are our teenage daughters, and you know, my daughters are beautiful, and so these boys were just smitten, so they turn, and they start staring at our daughters, and you know, my head shaved, so I kind of look like a monk too, and it's just... It didn't fit. They're trying to figure out, who are you people? So suddenly one of the young monks pulls out from under his robe a cell phone that has a camera attached to it, and he starts firing away photos, and about half of them got lost and weren't doing their chants. And finally the older boy in the front of the group, uh, who's in charge of leading, he's having to like say every three-fourths of every line, he's the only one saying it. So finally he turns around and throws the the chanting book at the, <laughs> he throws the book at him, <laughs> like literally, you know, read the book, do your chants. Uh, but anyway, what can I say? I've got beautiful children. And uh, we had, a, as always, really good connections that the Lord brought about. You know, if you just get out, he will help you connect to people, whether it's go do your Clothes in the laundromat instead of doing it in your house. Just get out and get around where people are. If you don't have your Bible, come right back. Uh, Today we're in Mark chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 17 on Thread. All right, we're in Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. And uh, as I said, I'm recording this thread. It might be a little echoey. I had to leave the room and go downstairs to sort of the corner of the lobby in this hotel, so you might hear all kinds of noise. But that, that'll just add ambiance to it. Uh, as I told you, um, I'm recording this from Bangkok, Thailand, and living in Thailand is the first time we've ever lived in a kingdom. And I mean, Thais love their king. He's got his picture is in every house by law, and there are shrines to him, and the people just absolutely love their king. Um, so to, and I think about it sometimes when I say "long live the king" everywhere. I just think, uh, you know, I wish uh, all believers were this devoted 
to the Lord, that in our heart we had the same level of eager servanthood and, uh, and honor. You know, I, I hear so many among believers even jokes, you know, using Jesus as one of the characters in the jokes, and they're, you know, they're religious people telling the joke. I mean, they're Christian people. So this, uh, this thread is about loyalty to the government. It's about how far governments can rightly uh, demand our loyalty and our service, and not just the, the government as in uh, terms of the state, but also um, our, our family, how far our family, how far our boss can go, how far... Uh, our church can go in addition to our secular government. So, um, again, to set the scene, we're in Jerusalem. Jesus has come to Jerusalem. He's having ongoing daily confrontations with the institutional evil of the religion of his day. And in chapter 12, verse 13, it says, And they, that's who we're talking about, they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians who had a mission, and that was to catch him in his words. So institution keepers have sent Pharisees and Herodians, and these are semi-nationalists. Uh, in the face of the Roman occupational forces, the, um, uh, let me give you a little history update. Uh, the Jewish people had become fragmented, and they had different camps and they were uh, basically at war with each other, and it was keeping that region disturbed because uh, Israel is the land bridge that connects Africa and Asia and Asia and Europe. And so they had to pass through it, and it was destabilizing the whole region and two different camps within uh, Jewish people uh, were claiming to be the rulers of that, you know, that land, and so there's a big war going on. They called in Rome as a peacekeeper, and Rome came in, and then they just refused to ever leave, and they just took it over as a part of their empire, and they put soldiers there, and it proved to be a, a, a even as it is till today, uh, a, a nightmare uh, in terms of security. You know, always little. Attacks and so Rome had strengthened its grips. They were taking uh, taxes from the Jewish people to pay for the cost of this occupation and all the bills associated with it. And it was a very uh, irritating thing to local people because you have foreigners in your land, their troops are governing your people, their law runs your land. Um, and they're making you pay taxes, and I mean they're making you pay taxes. And the ones in charge of tax enforcement were actually fellow Jews. So that's the whole tax collectors. Um, they hated that group. And Jesus reached out, and he had one of the tax collectors was one of his disciples. So this was a, a pretty hot button in those days. And the Pharisees, religious right and the Herodians, they were politicians. Uh, they came in order to try to trap Jesus in public and get him to say something that they could use to prosecute him. Verse 14, they give him some flattering 
their truths. You know, they said, Master, you know, we've come to you, and we know that you are true. You know, we know that you are true. That's a lie. Um, from their perspective, they didn't believe he was true. So they're there. They say, Master, we know you're true. We know you don't care about anyone. And what they meant was, you know, you don't kowtow down to people in position. You don't care about their their positions. For you do not regard the person of men, but you teach the way of God in truth. So now, now they've given him four flatteries. And the purpose of these words was to uh, cause Christ to lower his guard in public debate. So leaders, you need to watch out for people. Uh, you know, I, I had a friend once who was greatly embarrassed in public. Uh, he had a, a news reporter who came and said that, you know, their church was the you know fastest growing church in town. And so the reporter said, you know, we've come, we want to talk about your church and the things going on here and and just let the city know we want to profile and platform your church. Well, he, you know, he was a novice at this, and so he's very flattered. And he you know, gives the guy access, and he goes through the church. And uh, when the article comes out, it's a scathing article. You know, he's digging into how much salary did the pastor make, and you know, it was a Pentecostal church, so they had to also make comment about charismatic phenomenon and uh, tongue speech and worship and you know just try to make them look like crazy people, sort of like a cult leader had arisen in the city who was raking in the dough and had these mindless uh, people uh, you know, who were babbling and being crazy. So it, it was not a good thing. Um, I, th- I think about this too. When President Bush was in office, and you know he was a conservative Christian by his own profession, and a lot of Christian leaders really, uh, you know, connected to him as a man. He was a man that prayed. He was, you know, he was the kind of Christian leader that, you know, that they really uh, they could connect to George Bush. Uh, but one of uh, Bush's staff wrote a a book later, and he said, you know, we, we just found the clergy to be so such soft putty in our hands. All we had to do was invite them to come to the White House, and because they had never had such access and such an invitation, they just stumbled all over themselves uh, and wanted, you know, their picture made, and you know, kind of like country boys, <laughs> you know, going to the city for the first time. And he just said, you know, we just, we were able to just use them. They were our easy allies. And uh, the the effect of being brought to Washington was just so amazing to watch how how in love with that they were. So if you're a leader and, you know, someone that's uh, able to put you in a public platform, you know, wants to have conversations with you, you need to have your guard up a bit and be thinking about how these how this conversation might be used against you. Uh, you know, thank God for when he gives you an opportunity to get the word out in the in a public way, but you also have to be careful because it is spiritual war and um you know, I'm on my way to meet with uh, uh immigration officials 
and I was reading on a, a blog site and that person said, you know, don't get all chatty with a consular officer. There's no such thing as a friendly chat with someone who works in a consulate. They're, they're asking you questions to, to uh, verify your story and uh, any kind of uh, low-key you know, comment that you might make could turn around and be the thing that uh, messes up your visa chances later. So anyhow, let's stay on topic. Uh, Jesus noticed, the scripture says, their hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy means play acting. He noticed their play acting. And so they've asked him a question. Here's their question. Shall we pay taxes or not? Yes or no? Shall we pay? Yes or no? They're trying to force a yes or no question on him. They, they are not on a search for truth. They don't want to know what God says. They don't want to hear the heart of God. They just are trying to trap him and get him to say something, yes or no, that uh, they can use against him. The scripture says he was aware of their hypocrisy, and so he speaks to them. And as Jesus always does, he is concerned about the soul of the person who's speaking to him. He is focused on their benefit. Now, these men are there to destroy him. That's their only purpose for coming. And yet Christ is still concerned about their spiritual state. And so while they're asking him questions to try to trap him, he asks them two questions. The first one is, why are you doing this? Look into your heart and question your motivation. You're supposed to be spiritual men. You are the leaders of our religion, uh, and you are the ones who connect our religion with the state, because that's what the Herodian side did. They had political uh, power. They had political clout connected to the rule of Herod under Rome. And so he's saying, you know, you're in this sacred position, and so the question I want to ask you is why you would... Involve yourself today in this matter. Why are you, you know, the Pharisees believed in the word of God. They were very diligent students of the scriptures. And so he's saying to them, you know, why would you involve yourself? You two, you guys talking to me. Why would you involve yourself in this perversion of worship? We're supposed to be dealing with spiritual truth and your heart is dark. Why do you test me? And then he, he asked him, bring me some money. Bring me a denarius. I want to see it. So they brought one. He said to them, whose, his second question, whose image is on this? Whose inscription is carved into this piece of metal? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, well, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. Whose money is this? This coin right here in front of me. It's Caesar's coin. So, you know, now there is a kingdom principle. There's a principle here, and the word you'll, you'll get is render. You know, render is when you have an obligation, and there's a limit to your obligation. You have an obligation to your family. You have an obligation to your father and your mother. You have an obligation to your children. You have obligation to your church. You have obligation to your boss. And so we are in the kingdom. Here is the principle that he's stating. 
we render according to our obligation. You should render to your government, your church, your family, your boss, your children, your wife, your husband. You should render to them to the extent of the things that belong to them. And so, you know, the um, being a believer, being in the kingdom, being a child of God does not remove us from our social duties. We have them. It's part of the fabric of our life. And you need to know what your duty is as a child to a parent or as a parent to a child or as a husband to a wife or a church member to your pastor. You have duties and you should do your duty. Do the things that you're supposed to do that are inherent on your uh, relationship with that institution. Do it and do it to the best of your ability as long as they stay within their line. You know, there are churches that uh, most churches have a beautiful experience with their, their pastoral leadership, but every now and then there is a church that goes through uh, spiritual abuse and you get a leader who wants more than they are entitled to, and they want to be seen as a messianic figure. They want to have their hands on the money and not have any accountability for that. They want to use pressure and uh, guilt to intimidate people. Uh, they've exceeded their boundary. We're, we're, we're not called to render to them things that don't belong to them. We do our duty. That's a foundational teaching in Christian spirituality. And we do our duty even when it irritates us and seems heavy or seems unreasonable like paying taxes. Now, the teaching there is to go the second mile. But the flip side of that is that our right rendering to these institutions, that rendering stops when the authority exceeds its right and begins to covet that which belongs only to God. You know, when, you're, when you're, uh, your children exceed their expectations on you beyond what a parent owes a child in love. When, uh, when you flip that around, what a wife should receive from a husband, there are wives that will exceed that. There are husbands that will exceed you know, the role that God has given us as men, that we're going to be the, the spiritual head of our home, and there are men that handle that beautifully, and then there are men that, you know, he just wants to put his feet up on the sofa, you know, when he gets home and be treated like a king, but he doesn't, he doesn't sacrifice for that family. Our rendering comes to the line of the authority's domain. Now, in the end, Caesar in this case, was not content to demand taxes. Caesar coveted worship, and Rome required it eventually. You know, it started with taxation. Eventually, Rome required it of everyone. You had to bow and kneel in front of the image of Caesar. You had to say, Caesar is Lord, and give an offering to the image. And Christians would not do this to the point of facing a horrible death. You know, the deaths that were designed for them were just barbaric and cruel. But they understood, until you get to that point with me, I will do my duty. I will render to you the things that belong to you. But when you cross that line and now you demand something that belongs to God and you want me to give his things to you, okay, okay, 
at that point, I have to draw the line and suffer the consequences. Now, the fact that these words we're studying today are even in the Scripture is a testament to the uh, reliability of the Scriptures and the integrity of the Scriptures. Because if you, if you keep in mind when this book was written, this book was written because Peter had been crucified by Rome because he would not bow the knee and say Caesar is Lord. There was a Roman persecution of the church that was rising up. It was starting to wipe out leaders. And uh, Mark knew about this. He knew that they were going to lose the men who had the story firsthand. And so it had to be written down. And that was, you know, that was not an era when you would add a, a favorable story where Jesus would say, render to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. So it just lets you know, you know the honorability of this record that the Christians, despite their, uh, their growing persecution and the abuse of Roman government power, would still bind themselves to the teachings of Jesus and say, although Rome is killing us, Jesus, our Lord, who was executed by the Romans himself, uh, Jesus said the statement, we must render to Caesar things that belong to Caesar, but draw the line, render to God things that belong only to God. So obey the authorities in our lives, but when those authorities become perverse and start to covet a level of loyalty that belongs only to God, that's where we have to push back and take the consequences. The central theme of this book is that people who walk in perfect godliness will suffer persecution. That as the master suffered persecution, so will we. And you're going to find this in any institution that you serve. You know, your boss is not content sometimes just to have uh, you do a good day's work. They want you to go carousing at night and be one of the boys and you know go out drinking in my part of the world go out drinking and go to prostitutes together and you have to say no to that and then you have to suffer the punishment because it's going to affect your employment you get uh, sexual harassment you get families that in in Asia uh, demand that you offer sacrifices to the gods for them because that's part of their family's worldview and the Christians have to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that, and your family's not going to like it, and they're going to come down on your head. So persecution, government pressure, family pressure, employment pressure, pressure from your religious institutions, uh, pressure even from within your own uh, blood kin, bearing up under that pressure is just a part of serving the Lord faithfully in an age with spiritual war. But even as we bear up under that pressure, we're not permitted as Christians to throw off authority and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm not under Rome. I'm just under God. Jesus uh, came to teach us today, no, you stay in your institutions. You bear up under all the rendering that is required of you, even if you don't like it, even if it's irritating. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Be an example of being a good citizen, a good son, a good father, a good wife, good child, be an example of those things, uh, even as you serve the Lord in conscience and realize that there will be times that you have to bear the brunt 
and hold the name of Jesus higher and just take the consequences. So God bless you as you serve in the institutions that he has called you into. If you want to talk to me directly, and more and more of you are, and I appreciate that, uh, just email me, chuck at quinley.com, and I would love to interact with you. Thanks again for listening to Thread, and we'll be back next time. Thread, a singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Thread.